Welcome on into the show. My name is Danny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the Snare Campaign Provocateur. And oh my gosh, if he's not moving in, he's moving out. It's Benny Horowitz. What's up, dude? I was trying to tie that in the free agency. It didn't work. <laughs> my phone hasn't been ringing, Denny. I told people, I'm on the waiver wire. Come on. Nobody the- could have hit you up with a cool veteran minimum of uh, $2.4 million? As much as I've been trying to pitch... <laughs> The forty-year-old, six-foot-three, aging point forward to an NBA team—one that's never played a lick of high school, college, or professional <laughs> basketball—I just don't know why they're not calling. You essentially just described Kyle Korver, but I bet you've never been <laughs> traded for a fax machine before. <laughs> Listen, Kyle Korver met the Pope today. <laughs> that, okay? That's true. Yeah, huh. I use the leaf blower, so Kyle Korver is doing a little better. Do we need to talk about this? Because I think that this is the big deal that not many people are talking about. It's the... honestly, it's pretty fascinating. Yeah. So, essentially, what happened? You know, you—we've been talking all summer about the social movement in, in the country, but particularly the basketball side of things, and out of nowhere. It seems that Michelle Roberts pulled off an audience for five NBA players to meet with the Pope to discuss. It's you know, the Pope. Uh. Like, like it's it's absolutely insane. the The details of this story and the timeline, I think, are more fascinating than free agency. But yeah, Benny, what do you make of the NBA getting an audience with the Pope? Well, let's talk details first. So, was this? This group of Kyle Korver and Sterling Brown and Jonathan Isaac, I think, a few random players, mm. did they travel to Vatican City? Yeah. So they went to Vatican they, City. They went to the Vatican, yeah. And had a council with the Pope. Now, the thing that's confusing me about I like all of it, okay? Yeah. I think it's cool. <laughs> uh, as you said, if there's any league or group of people that's been successful in promoting social justice, I mean... To the point that your boy Giannis decided to sit out a game, and before you know it, voting there's 32 arenas that are voting locations mm. in the U.S. Like that was a big deal, and who knows if that swayed the needle at all? Like it could have. So they've been the most successful, but as much as I like this group of people meeting with the Pope, what happened, <laughs> and why was it necessary? I'm not. I'm just not sure what happened there. The Pope doesn't set policy. You know, he can't help. So what were they talking about? I mean, in many ways, neither of these groups set policy. So it's like, was this just like a figurehead kind of thing? Which right. I, I, don't, okay. I truly don't want to take that cynical approach on, on this whole thing. It is a, a, a great story. By the way, the group of players, right? Because yeah. they had to get one Italian in there. They got Marco Bellinelli, Sterling Brown, <laughs> Jonathan Isaac, who, if I believe, wasn't Jonathan Isaac one of the ones that stood during the national anthem during the bubble? I don't remember. I don't remember. But uh, Kyle Korver and Anthony Tolliver, as well as Michelle Roberts. So that's interesting. Yeah, it really is. But, I mean, I do think it's cool. I just wish I could be a fly in the wall for what exactly happened in there. So, I mean, it's like... Are these players going in there demanding racial justice from the Pope? Or what's he demanding from them? So like like or or maybe he's now all right, so we gotta determine this right off. Were these five players, are they all devout Catholics? Oh, that's interesting. It doesn't say in this article, but we do have some quotes. We have a quotes from the Pope. So the Pope says 
you're champions, but also giving the example of teamwork, you become a model, giving the good example of teamwork, but always remaining humble and persevering your own humanity. So, okay. so I think I think you're on to something, okay? And I don't think it's pessimistic to say it's just real. This is ceremonial. Yeah. It really is. It's like it's like how it's the idea functionally of how far can this social justice movement go? Like to what places can it get? Like how far can it go? This is pretty fucking far. It's about as far as it can go. So I do think even though I don't think anything specific was happening in there besides for, hey, you're doing a great job and you're doing a great job. Hey, it's the Pope. Uh, I think besides for that, it probably was really just like a tip of the hat to each other. Actually, though, I'm going to put my serious hat on for two seconds and not the company I work for, like actual. I think the symbolism of this is very important because, you know, I don't think the Catholic Church has been a group that has been... uh, like, they've been okay for race relations, but I don't think that you can say that they're an, an ally. I think for, especially under uh, Pope Benedict, it was a very conservative atmosphere around everything. So I think for the Catholic Church, this is huge to kind of take a stance on social issues because uh, it's not something that you traditionally see them do. And for the NBA, it is a we are global and we have the world's attention. And I think the policy stuff can, you know, be left to like, okay, like getting people out to vote like they did. And so I'm going to renege my cynicism for a little bit because I think symbolism is important. And I think that if, uh, you know, Catholics all over the world can see this, maybe it can make the world a better place. Danny, let me tell you, I'm doubling down on my cynicism. Let me tell you <laughs> and you why. can. <laughs> Who knows branding better than the NBA, okay? And, and the Who's Catholic Church. Who's been fucking up their branding more than the Catholic Church over the last 20, 30 years, right? They've taken some archaic and awful stances in the past on, uh, you know, times of World War II, women's rights, uh, you know, um, LGBTQ rights, uh, you know, anything going on in the world and especially with the uh, with the pedophilia rampant in the Catholic Church. There's been so much over the last 20 years to make a person be like, listen, if you're a media marketer and you're looking at Catholic Church, you go, oh, my God, this is trash. They just don't know what they're doing over there. So who knows? Maybe they brought in a half dozen young advertising marketing catholics it's not like catholics don't go to fucking you know college and get advertising degrees as well and go to catholic universities yeah catholic universities and you know they went there and they're like hey we're gonna rebrand the catholic church new website whole deal i think that's maybe this might be what's happening as someone that went to a lot of catholic school i can tell you branding is a very big deal think about it Irish Catholics, I feel like, got pushed ahead in this country. Why? A certain football team from Indiana started winning a lot. Now there's basketball. Coincidentally, Pope Francis is a Jesuit. Shout out to the the Jesuits out there. Marquette, Big East, all that stuff. (laughs) Big basketball conference. So it goes hand in hand. Yeah, Yogurt, the (laughs) t-shirt. Yogurt, the flamethrower. Yogurt, the lunchbox. It's all about it, buddy. It's all about it. Doubling down on my cynicism. (laughs) 
Hey, Benny, so we have a exciting new initiative on the podcast. For about the next six weeks from now through the holidays, we are raising money for the Community Food Bank of New Jersey as a kind of end-of-the-year holiday Thanks to you guys for, for, for listening, for tuning in. We kind of wanted to pay it forward. Uh, the Community Food Bank of New Jersey, they're a tremendous organization. The Community Food Bank of New Jersey is the state's largest anti-hunger, anti-poverty organization, delivering food, help, and hope for over 40 years. Last year, they distributed over 66 million meals, the most ever in the 45-year history. 22% of that was fresh produce. Unbelievable. So... You can go to all of our social feeds. We'll have the link where you can donate to help people. $25 creates over 75 meals. That's incredible. So if we raise enough money, man, we could feed thousands of people in New Jersey because, uh, you know, we're Jersey City's own, New Jersey's own, and we really want to give back to the community this holiday yeah. season. So, And if there's anything, so, so I spent years, years doing shows, and accepting food donations at my shows and bringing them to a local food bank. A lot of experience with this stuff. And if there's anything I've learned, I know it's people's instincts to be like, I'm going to go to the store and I'm going to be hands-on and I'm going to choose food and I'm going to donate food. But if there's anything I've learned about these banks is that they've used to learn this money super efficiently. And as you said, they can turn 25 bucks into 75 meals. There's no chance you can go to the store and make that happen. There's very specific things they need to make specific meals so i do find that a small donation and even a small one whatever you can goes a long way to places like this because they've become expertly skilled at uh making that money go go a really long way all right second half of the podcast and that means it's basketball time and this past week the nba was in full effect Players moving to new locations, teams trying to bolster their championship aspirations, and maybe trying to uh, keep players in certain locations for more than just, you know, maybe to the end of the year. Who knows? But we'll get to that. All right, so one of the more active teams this post uh, this offseason was the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, Rob Palenka has stressed about the danger of complacency after winning this championship. They added a guy from the Crosstown Clippers, Montrezl Harrell, Former sixth man of the year claimed today in his opening press conference that the Clippers didn't want him because the Clippers are so stealth and quiet. They're kind of like that quiet kid in school where you never exactly know where they stand. I believe it. So they added a bunch of guys, they added guys like Wes Matthews, brought back KCP, Mark Keith Morris is back, AD still kind of hanging out there, and the big fish, Marcus All. So, what do you make of uh, the Lakers not necessarily rebuilding, but retooling to try to go back to back here? I mean, I think it's smart. They they have an old – last year was an old roster, mm. right? Everybody knew it. And you got kind of what I imagine to be maybe the best you're going to get out of a couple guys. Like, are you going to get a better playoff series out of Rajon Rondo again? Maybe not. Yeah. Are you going to get Dwight Howard to actually, like, buy in and be cool and not start any dog shit <laughs> for a full season Probably again? Not. Yeah. Probably not. So I think with, with that being said, and with the fact that it was getting older, a lot of the teams out there have younger players and did a lot of retooling themselves. It seemed wise to not only improve, but almost be the ones to kick off free agency yeah. with that Dennis Schroeder deal and sort of set the tone to be like, Hey, we won. We're coming this is still our window and we're coming back and we're coming back strong. The only question marks to it would be, you know, 
they sort of had a, a defensive and uh, run and gun sort of style last year. A lot of breaking, yeah. uh, a lot of, uh, you know, off of long rebounds. They did just run down the court, use that athleticism and kind of the bodies that they had. And you signed like a Mark Assault. Yeah. Who's not doing any of that. No. So I do think that um, there's obviously going to be adjustment period. And also uh, there is going to be a slow start to, I think, especially LeBron James. Yeah. So I think this has the, the potential to play out in like uh, first couple months of the year. Someone's going to really, really make a run. One of these teams that started retooling like a Portland mm. is going to, you know, be like, 17 and three in the you know yeah first few weeks and the lakers are going to be sitting a couple games over 500 and people are oh new blood <laughs> new blood when you know what they're doing they're just tooling for the end yeah and they're going to have a little bit of a it's a lot of new free agents and a lot of big pieces coming into a situation so there's going to be time for that as far as uh uh mantras harrell's concerned i love trez as much as the next guy yeah uh, but I do think he got kicked out of the Clippers. I mean, <laughs> it, if you look at what was going on over there two years ago, the whole concept was about the culture the Clippers were building. And so much of that culture was built around guys like Montrezl Harrell and Pat Beverly. And Doc Rivers. And, and Doc Rivers mm -hmm. and sort of this like gritty, tough team. And then all of a sudden, you know, playoff Paul comes in the mix. <laughs> not really his vibe. Kawhi Leonard, not really his vibe. So the idea that those guys got into the locker room and it changed the culture of the locker room and made a guy like Trez feel a little more on the outside makes sense to me. Uh, he also got abused uh, in the playoffs. He gets abused a little bit defensively. So I think there's very much a, a functional place for Montrez Harrell, but, but the numbers don't lie. A lot of guys, I mean, you know, if you told me Jeremy Grant was going to make a, uh, 11 million more dollars a year than Montrez Harrell. I wouldn't have thought that was correct yeah. by the end of last year. He had a rough bubble. He had some personal issues and I think he's uh, almost betting on himself. He's taking this cheaper two year deal uh, going across town to kind of maybe give a little fuck you to the Clippers and sort of restake his value for, for the next, next free agent market. But as far as the Clippers are concerned, I love, 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 love Serge Ibaka on that team. And I think it makes a huge, huge difference. It's obviously, to me, a big upgrade from Harrell in a lot of different ways. I mean, all of a sudden you have now a true seven-footer, a mm -hmm. real defender, uh, someone who doesn't need the ball, someone who can uh, proper spot up and shoot threes now. And then another thing is, you know, Marcus Morris kind of came in there last year, and I don't think he really knew – there wasn't being much asked of him and he wasn't really accustomed to playing the kind of role he was. So yeah. I think giving him the deal, making him a, a core piece of that team could help. Um, you know, if they decide to bring him back full year, Reggie Jackson, Luke Kennard, you know, people are talking a little smack about that deal, but Luke Kennard's a talented kid who yeah. has always been in a bad situation. Yeah. Um, and if you can't, uh, you know, understand the fact that that guy who went to another team could have been a really functional NBA player by now. He definitely could have. Detroit was one of the worst places he could have wound up as far as the coaching carousel, the yeah. playing carousel. Um, 
you know, literally this kid was, was asked to do a lot of things he shouldn't have been asked to do early on. Uh, and he's a more dynamic player than Shamit. So I'm really skeptical of Luke Kennard there because so last year was his best career year, jumped up from eight points a game to, to about 15, but he only played 28 games. I need to see him average 15 points and, and play like between 60 and 70 games. So, and I think he'll have the opportunity. So this is, this is kind of a year that will kind of define his career going forward. Yeah. Yeah. Now they took a flyer on him and I think, uh, you saw it a little towards the end of last year, too. And even though he's my boy now, and I'm going to support him, <laughs> there's some limitations to Landry Shamit's yeah. game. Uh, you know, he's not quite skilled enough to be a point guard. He's not quite uh, feisty or large enough to be a two guard. And I think he's going to have a good role in the NBA. But I don't know if he's ever going to be a 25-minute-a-game rotational piece on a right. playoff championship team. Luke Kennard, if everything fell right, potentially could. Yeah. So they took a flyer on it, I and like I think it. it was a pretty smart flyer. And I think that, you know, just going back to your Ibaka point, you know, he's not quite Trez, but I think if you were going to lose Trez, if, if you told me the beginning of the offseason, all right, Trez is, isn't going to be here. Who's going to be the next best man up in terms of what's available? Getting Serge Ibaka is like about as good as they could have hoped for. Yeah, and I actually disagree with you. I think it's an upgrade. I think it's oh, a really? fairly. I, I think it's a fairly significant upgrade. I just, um, I, I like Trez. I really yeah. do. I think he's a good player, but Serge Ibaka is a complete player. He's a right. champion. He, he's he's not quite the athlete he was when he first came in, yeah. and I don't think he's going to be, you know, running down the court and blocking shots the same way as he used to. But uh, I think in this system he's in, I think even a few weeks ago. I had mentioned it on this show that Serge Ibaka had, uh, he has he he had the David West uh, temperament about him, mm. which I don't feel he's a tough guy. He's done a lot in the NBA already, and I don't think he has that much to prove. And you're going to see Serge Ibaka bounce from championship team to championship team yeah. the next three four years. Like that's what he's going to do, and he's a true seven footer who can bomb from three at this mm. point. I feel like his strokes getting better and better with age. So yeah, I think it's a big. I actually think it's a significant upgrade for hmm. Montrezl. Solid sixteen and eight there, but I want to go back to the Lakers real quick. Uh, you brought up LeBron before. You can count on one hand the amount of times we're going to see LeBron before St. Patrick's Day. Like I think, yeah. unless the Lakers are going to get in in trouble, and I think that's why they they sign. Uh, some of the guys that they do, I think for a lot of these games, you're going to see a Schroeder, A.D., Trez, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, and Wes Matthews as like the guys who... And that team alone, I think that that can win you two out of three most weeks. Yeah, I mean, it's the classic case. If this team was in the East, I'd say you were right. Yeah. But we're still in the West here. That's true. And... You know, the Lakers just can't afford to fall too behind. LeBron knows that. And, you know, as much as my instinct is going to be like, oh, he's going to be this old by the time next year starts. And he had this short break. I'm not playing that game with LeBron James anymore, okay? (laughs) He's made of robot parts. I'm sure this two months he had was plenty of time to get all oiled up and whatever he needs to do, (laughs) you know, to to tune up his parts. He bought a gallon of WD-40. Whatever he does to get himself ready. But if there's anybody who could 
pull it off. It's fucking him. Huh? Yeah, yeah. The other team that you brought up here, the Blazers, and I got to say, this offseason, I know a lot of people are high on it. Uh, a lot of off-seasons is just doing what you have to do, resigning the right pieces. They got a, a lot of people that they need back. They made some uh, key additions. Getting Robert Covington at center is going to be huge. But the, the incredible thing about this, they, they didn't spend more than $40 million on these additions, which is absolutely insane in, in today's NBA. A lot of people like them to be the second-best team in, in, in the Western Conference. I think that that's a, a complete toss-up. It's going to be very interesting to see what a luxury to have Melo on the bench. I feel like that's like having a sports car in, in your garage, even though you drive a Subaru to work each and every day. Take it off, you know, kind of enjoy it a little bit. But at the end of the day, it's not going to be your main mode of, of transportation. Derek Jones is a guy that I think really kind of rose up in, in heat culture. It's going to be interesting to see when he's that fish out of water there. Really yeah. like them getting Rodney Hood back. The bench, 100%. When you want to be a title contender, what you got to do, it, it, it's an arms race. Uh, we saw that in Milwaukee, who we're going to talk about in a little bit. We talked about it with the Lakers and the Clippers. Now, here's my question about Portland. Yeah. A- everything we just said, and I agree with you. They added good pieces. I like Covington. I like Canterback. The idea of a healthy Nurkic and Zach Collins. I think they could be a top team in the West. Mm. And if the Clippers or Lakers started slow, who knows? They could, they could wind up being a one seed. It's a very talented team. But... All that being said, can you see this team getting past the big dogs? Do you actually see this team being able to have a championship? This team goes as as far as CJ McCollum is. Um, and also, I mean, I know it's so easy to uh, discount the Clippers, but they, they've got a championship coach. Kawhi's still there. You know, they made the additions that we talked about. Oh, yeah, um, so they're... I think that they're definitely a solid three, maybe two, if everything breaks right. Yeah, I mean, I think people have quick, short memories and a quick tendency (laughs) for revisionist history. If you ask any basketball fan, not long before uh, the pandemic and we're getting into the bubble, they asked who's the best team in the NBA. Most people were saying the Clippers. Yeah. And we're bringing back essentially the same or better team. They're losing a, a few, you know, pieces mm. here and there, but the keys are still there. And uh, yeah, no, the Clippers should be right there. But the thing with Portland is they're in a salary situation now where they have to go all in. Yeah. There's no choice for the Blazers to be all in right now. But the only way I see them getting through and really winning a championship is kind of a 2019 Toronto sort of way. I think they would need a couple pieces to fall out of their yeah. way. But, you know, sometimes you just got to put yourself there and hope it breaks right. Yeah. You know? Yeah, no, I feel that way too. Anyway, one more Western Conference team that I want to talk about before we flip over to the Eastern Conference. Man, these Phoenix Suns, these pesky-ass Phoenix Suns. Uh, they they make the trade that lands them Chris Paul. Great, great for the culture. Great for everything that they're trying to build there. On top of the team that went 8-0 and in the bubble. Never forget that. Put that on the t-shirt, hang it up in, in the rafters. They had Jay Crowder, who prior to the NBA Finals, I would have had to, have to explain to basketball fans how great Jay Crowder is. Don't need to do that anymore. He got paid. Very happy for the Marquette guy. Uh, they keep Dario Saric. What was I saying before about, you know, part of the offseason is keeping what you got and building on it? They kept a key part of the foundation. Love Saric's game. 
And then, you know what's pesky about this? I kind of like the Etwan Moore pickup. I kind of like it as, like, your 14th option. He's a guy that I still feel like if you absolutely are desperate, you know, he could maybe get you a couple of buckets. So, shout out to them. They're going to be fun to watch. My guy, Eddie Johnson, is really happy about that. So, shout out to Phoenix for really a great offseason. All right, we're not going to have a podcast long if we talk too much about Etwan Moore. <laughs> I like him but- at- I like him no, as the no. 14th option. <laughs> Listen, the sun, what the Suns did was fun. And I think Devin Booker wanted Chris Paul. Yeah. Chris Paul wanted to come. They had the assets. Why not? Yeah. You know what I mean? At this point. And if this puts, you know, uh, them in a position for Devin Booker to be a consistent all-star, maybe DeAndre Ayton move into the position of being an all-star, that's great. Yeah. Um, you know, I know they took a little shit for passing on Halliburton in the draft, going after Jalen Smith. I actually like the move. I like Jalen Smith. And I think it's surprising when I saw this draft how people were sort of devaluing those stretch fours. Mm. You're watching guys like Bertans and, uh, you know, Joe Harris and these, you know, anybody who's over six foot six and can shoot 38, 37, 36% from three is worth like $15 million (laughs) in the league. So I don't understand this, uh, this tizzy everyone had about going after Jalen Smith, who's, a high energy, yeah. big guy who can go out and shoot. And sometimes that's exactly what you need to put around guys like Chris Paul and Devin Booker. So uh, I actually uh, didn't hate that move as much as other people mm. did. But I go through this roster and after about, you know, player number seven, there is a huge fucking drop off. This team <laughs> yeah. has no depth, no bench. Uh, and as much as I like the story here, mm. if they crack the playoffs, if they crack the playoffs, I don't think they're going very far in it. What I like even more is how the Golden State Warriors were able to acquire Kelly Oubre from from this team. Also, they, bring home Kent Bazemore, you know, a original of the uh, yeah. What was yeah. that like? Like the Splash Brothers? Like like the pre Splash Brothers? Pre Splash? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, actually. Ken Bazemore, the reason why uh, Steph Curry is at Under Armour. So glad all that get, gets to come home. Before we move out of the West here. Yeah. Just came in. Breaking news. Yeah. DeMarcus Cousins. Oh, One-year yeah. deal to go to the Houston Rockets. The needle has shifted. Rockets. <laughs> championship contenders. Oh, I love oh, it. Oh, man. What is that about? So here's one thing we got to talk about before we get out of the West. Yeah. Okay. My boy, my buddy, Mike Greenstein, Greeny, mm-hmm. the original Greeny. The original, the OG. Of, of Greeny and the Cheese, <laughs> which was a radio show up at uh, Ramapo Radio in North Jersey. <laughs> sports radio show, good program. But Greeny was talking, and I think he has a point about, he thinks there's a bit of a uh, almost Colin Kaepernick situation going on with James Harden here, where, yeah, we heard James Harden's request. The owner of the team is a bit of a douchebag, as we know. Yeah. He's got a little bit of a, you know, saucy ego. It's a shame. I love the Golden Nuggets. And I'm pretty sure there's a, a directive with all the other owners, kind of a behind-the-table sort of sly pat on each other's backs, which is like, we will no longer allow people to push themselves out of their contracts. The Rockets need to stand firm. You guys don't move this guy. Don't move Russell Westbrook. We need to show these players that if they have a contract, they can't push their way out of a city. And I think the owner of Houston is just the guy to carry that torch. Oh, don't get me started on NBA and these backroom deals because, quite frankly, I think 
Pat Riley has a lot to do with the fact that Bogdan Bogdanovich is not a Milwaukee Buck. You want to oh, talk about okay. getting called on for tampering? All right, all right. That's not what we're talking about. Oh, my gosh. So, we're, we're getting so, there soon. Anyway. What, <laughs> it, do you think this theory holds water? Or do you think there is a consensus among uh, owners right now to be like, we cannot allow an Anthony Davis situation again? I, and they want to make a little bit of a show out of the James Harden situation to be like, sure, you can say you want out, but you're going to play on this team. Well, number one, I think there's a couple things. When have we ever seen two superstars want out of the same team at the same time? Normally it's like, oh, I fucking hate that guy. I want out of of this situation. So first, uh, Russ kind of is like, I want out of here. Understandable. He hasn't been here here that long. And then James Harden kind of looks around. Russ knew about Harden. That's why Russ wants out. Russ knew. He knew. I could see he that. He had to know. He had to know. I could see that. But in terms, I don't think anybody in the NBA has pity for the Houston Rockets. You know, they got rid of rid of Maury, but they still cost the NBA with the whole China situation a lot of money. So I think more people would actually probably want Harden out of Houston. Well, Maury was right. <laughs> <laughs> but... I think, you know, there's very few options where he could go. I don't. I, I think it'd be a travesty for the Nets to give up all of that for James Harden. We talked about that last week. And there's no way Tillman Fertitta is going to tr- trade James Harden to Dal Moria. So outside of that, where, where else would Harden go? I think it's a, yeah. a simple basketball thing. It's a tough landing spot, but here's the other caveat to that. It's like, sure, he might be... You know, have this that have this boner where he's like, "Yeah, we're not going to trade these fucking guys. They're going to go through in their contracts." But what happens if you're three months into this season and the Rockets suck? Yeah, and they're nowhere near the playoffs. Like, isn't the value of James Harden the highest it could be right now? I think so. I think if say you bought really low on James Harden stock, you'd be selling like James Harden right now is at like 200 bucks a share, like out of control, blue chip, whatever you want to call it. So I think if the Rockets start losing, I think that that keeps going down because people love a high volume shooter when you're winning. When you're losing, that is the most annoying thing you can have. Yeah, yeah. And listen, I'm, I'm a James Harden guy. I'll stand up for him a bunch. I think he's a good basketball player in yeah. a lot of different ways, and I think he gets knocked for a lot of different things. But this is a weird situation, and I don't know where this guy <laughs> ends up at this point. All right, let's move on to the Eastern Conference, shall we? Benny, I want to start with your Brooklyn Nets. Kevin Durant is an addition. I know he signed last year. I know he signed last year, but KD, you're adding a MVP. Jeff Green gives you depth. Like we've been talking about the whole time, you got to keep your base. They kept Joe Harris. Absolutely love that. I think Shamit's a great, great bench option. The biggest win the Nets had this offseason was not getting in their own way and not getting distracted by James Harden. Yeah, yeah. So the more and more I get into this, I, you know, the more I think about it and see it and the way it's playing out, I don't think this Harden thing ever had legs. Mm-mm. I don't think the Nets ever made a real offer. No. I don't think he was ever really on the table. This was just one of those things where he said he wanted out. The media decided on two different locations where it was even possible, which was Philly and Brooklyn, yeah. because they were the only ones with the appropriate assets to do it, and then put this out there. But I don't think it was ever real. Hmm. And uh, and every move they were making going into that, you know, uh, trading for Bruce Brown and signing Joe Harris were antithetical to the idea that they were going after it anyway. Yeah. So I, I don't know if it was ever real. Um, 
Now, the thing about Brooklyn that I love the most right now mm. is the biggest concern going into next season's got to be health, right? Yeah. Because it all rests on the health of Kyrie and KD. I mean, we're all building this on the big two. Right. If those two aren't right, this thing's not going to fly, and we're not going to get past the big dogs in the East. So what I love about what the Nets did is this is one of the deepest Nets teams I've ever seen. Yeah. I mean, this roster is going 10, 11 deep now. Let me go through position by position. I love here. it. Do it. Point guard. Kyrie Irving, backed up by Spencer Dinwiddie. Landry Shamit can also play point. Shooting guard, Karis LeVert, Bruce Baum. Landry Shamit can also play shooting guard, as can Joe Harris. Mm. Shooting forward, Karis LeVert, Joe Harris, Jeff Green, and Cabarrot, who, you know, turned into no slouch, a pretty, yeah. pretty solid 3 and D guy last year. Getting into power forward, Kevin Durant, Torian Prince, Jeff Green, center, DeAndre Jordan, Jared Allen, and Nick Claxton, who I think is going to take a big jump this year mm. and maybe eventually uh, supplant Jared Allen because Jared Allen's going to get a big contract next year. Yeah. So I'm looking at this team and I'm seeing positional versatility. I'm seeing a bunch of guys who can cover a bunch of different positions, a bunch of guys who can score in different ways. You got playmakers, you got passers. It looks good on paper, man. Yeah, it really it does. Really the good. only thing and the big caveat, as we know, health. What is Kevin Durant now? Yeah. We haven't seen him play basketball in a long time. If people are expecting 26 year old Kevin Durant to show up, I don't think he is. But as we've discussed previously on this show, he has a skill set that ages better than most skill sets you can because mm. regardless of what you do, you can't take away a seven foot sharpshooter. Right. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like you could take you could take him off the handle. He's not gonna be breaking people's ankles anymore, but he's always gonna be that. He could be out so, there with no legs and still be shooting forty percent. Yeah, yeah. So so I think uh, again, I think Sean Marks did a really nice job. I think he put together a nice group. Uh, I think he uh, looked past this draft and went to win now mode, bringing in Shamit. So now the only play out is uh, is Kevin Durant healthy? Is Kyrie Irving healthy? And is Kyrie Irving going to behave? Yeah, and I'm really <laughs> not sure if I'm getting fooled by this Brooklyn Nets team because, in my opinion, they're the best team in the Eastern Conference, and it's not even close. If the Celtics would have landed Miles Turner, I would have put them, you know, maybe like one A, one B. But I think they're clear cut. Depth-wise, star potential. They have they have the highest ceiling in, in the Eastern Conference. Now, I got kind of confused this week with my M Milwaukee Bucks. And Benny acted as my therapist this week because <laughs> I would I you've not seen somebody buy into a Serbian shooting guard as fast as I was looking at these numbers. <laughs> and and I, it, it was like, okay, remember in like you know, like high school, college, you know, like you'd get like a cute girl, cute boy, whatever your preference is. You get the number and you'd be like, oh man, I'm in, it's in, it's happening, yada, yada, yada. And then and, and then you just like nothing, friendship falls wrong apart. Number. That's exactly wrong number. That, that's exactly what Bogdan did to me this week. Except somebody, some some dude like cock blocked you or something like that. I got cock blocked by the Atlanta Falcons. Oh wow, I can't even talk straight. The Atlanta Hawks. I think it was a Pat Riley hit job anyway. But yeah. so that I'm happened this be. week. That all happened this week. I just wanted to give the audience a sense of my emotional roller coaster. 
I really like how the Bucks recovered from this. Uh, obviously, Drew Holiday, huge addition. Bryn Forbes, you know, I've talked myself into it. He averages 10 That's points fine. a game. What more could you want? Hard uh, worker. He's a hard worker. Yeah, good shooter. Really He's like fun. that. Like that under Bud. I really like the quiet lineup that the Bucks have. DJ Augustine gives you a veteran presence who could be a starter. I think him and Forbes will go back and forth with this. Bobby Portis could grow into something. You know, solid shooter, solid shooter. Around 40%. I was surprised at that. I, it's a nice shooter. And then, you know, Torrey Craig. Nice defender. Not going to give you much on offense. Uh, but but could lock down a Kevin Durant if need be. So who knows? So here's where I talked to you off the ledge. And the yeah. biggest <laughs> thing to remember about all this is take away Bogdanovich. Yeah. Take away everything else that's happened this offseason. Who is the biggest player that moved this offseason? Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday, yeah. hands down. He's the only one that even moved that can really swing the needle very much. I mean, Bogdanovich is a nice player, yeah. but like we talked about in the text, he, he's been overvalued because of the lack of right. people out there and, and everybody who needs to make a big splash. So I think you got to go back to a week ago and remember how happy you were when you got Drew Holiday yeah. because that is the big get of the offseason. And you're, you're packaging him with the remaining players, and you got this player on your team without breaking up the core you mm. have. So that was the concept. Now, I agree with you. You sound a little ridiculous selling yourself this hard into a Bryn Forbes, Bobby Portis, these bench guys Ten who the game, baby. are fine. They're fine, <laughs> and they're going to do okay. I think uh, Torrey Craig was an under, uh, undervalued signing because of his defensive versatility. Um, it's a problem with a lot of the players, uh, excuse me, a lot of the teams we're looking at. Take all the teams in the league right. and ask yourself one question. Who's covering LeBron James? And there's about 50% of the teams in the league that don't have an answer for that. Yeah. Now, you get Torrey Craig. Guy's not going to give you much on the offensive end, but he's covering LeBron James. Yeah in a big spot and you can trust him and he's been in big moments. Uh, so I think that was a bigger one. And then Augustine, I, I quite like a lot. Mm. I'm not going to say he's a, a better player than Eric Bledsoe. I don't think he is not right but he's now. He's certainly no. a better fit, mm. you know, and, and you know what, what the bucks need now is a facilitator yeah. is a guy you can hand the ball to. He can cross half cart and he can get you into offense and he can get you into proper offense. And if there is no offense, he can take his own shot and actually make it. So I don't think Augustine's as dynamic of an athlete. He's definitely a worse defender than Bledsoe. Yeah, that's... But I think on the offensive end, uh, he's going to give you a bunch of things Bledsoe didn't that you actually really needed. So yeah. do I think the Bucks are much better or much worse? Yeah, I think they're better because they have Drew Holiday. Mm. But I don't think they're that much better. Right. Uh, and I don't know if they're beating the, the top teams in the West better. But that's to be seen. I think it's a complete wash with the Lakers. But as we've said, I think the Lakers are head and shoulders above everybody else. The one thing I, I was happy with is I think the Bucks sold really high on, on George Hill. I think that there's real chance that in Oklahoma City he's going to regress to the mean prior to this Bucks experience. My last Bucks takeaway is... I mean, we've seen the pick swap thing go terribly wrong before, and that's two picks. I mean, come on. So I think that that's going to bite the Bucks really hard. Good news is they, they only have two more first-round picks to give away. 
Bad news is we have a, a, a draft coming up where high school and college guys are eligible. So I don't know what any of that means. I mean, they had to do it. Yeah. What are you supposed to do? Yeah. You know, one of the most um, exceptionally freak athletes that's ever graced the NBA. Uh, you know, you got to try and make them stay. You got to do everything you can. And I think everybody in that front office realized if it doesn't work out, they just fucked up the future of the Bucks yeah. really bad. But- and, and John Horst will go down with Billy King as, uh, you know, names in infamy in basketball lore. All right. One last team that I want to talk about. I uh, don't think that there's too much there. I mean, there to talk about with Philadelphia. I think they're pretty much they're they're relatively like the same team. They just added a little bit of of shooting, not not too much to get you excited. But you know, it's a, a exciting proposition. The Atlanta Hawks. Uh, wait, wait, wait! You you got you got to stop. You got to stop. Well, you, you just skipped by. You like Philly? I hate to say it. Oh man. Don't be fooled again. <laughs> I'm fooled. I don't know what to tell you. I look at this roster, like, and you said it. The first, you said it with with Brooklyn, and you said this is by far the team in the East with the highest upside. And I sit here and I look at rosters and I look at the breakdown, and I look at Philly and I go, you know what? If this breaks right, oh. they're the best team in the East. Stop it! You're so they crazy. Are. They're they so crazy. And, and and everything they needed. They got, they like, all right, if you were going to take a Philly offseason, right, before yeah. this offseason started, and you're like, what are the two things Philly needs to do, needs to do, what would you say? They need a pick and pop combo with the big men. Right. They need to get rid of Shooting, Al Horford, yeah. and they need shooters. So they got rid of Al Horford. And they got a good coach that I And love. they added Danny Green. They added uh, um, Seth Curry. No, I was getting to someone else first because that's the big one. Yeah. You know, they had and oh, I'm sorry, Danny Green, they they got Terrence Ferguson mm-hmm. in that Oklahoma City trade, yeah. who's a nice player. And then they got not just a three-point shooter, they got like one of the NBA best three-point shooters and not just now, like historically good three-point shooter. Seth Curry is borderline breaking records for three-pointers every year. So so you're not just adding like <laughs> Oh, this guy can shoot threes. You're adding like, you know, a young, under contract fucking sharpshooter, like an absolute sharpshooter who's a bit of an underrated defender. He tries. He knows he where tries. to go. He's he a little. Small. Everybody tries. I try. So and and they got all these pieces back, giving up Josh Richardson, which yeah. I, I don't think Danny Green is a straight replacement for him. Richardson's a better player, but it's close. And then you draft Maxi. You know, you really sign, like uh, you know, Dwight Howard cheap, Joe in the second round. I don't know, man. I look at this team and I look at Doc Rivers and I think um, uh, Tobias Harris had a strange year last year getting settled in. I think he um, uh, jumps back to kind of the player we thought he thought he was a little bit. Um, yeah. And I can't believe I'm saying it again, but I, I think Philly might have the most upside of any team in the East. I think you've confused the Currys because in the last three years, Seth, right, he went yeah. from 12 points a game to six a game in like that like 12 neighborhood again. So he's been up and down. I, I just want to know what, like, because if I'm getting good Seth Curry, I'm like, all right, that's a great addition. You get a guy about 12, 11 points a game. I really like that. But if you're getting six or seven points a game, Seth Curry, that's not somebody that I want. And 
we all know how I feel about Danny Green. We don't need to revisit this. <laughs> all right. Let me, let's talk about Seth Curry for a second. Yeah. Because you're talking about points per game. Like, it means much. Okay? <laughs> Curry is... If you're a scorer, it means everything. <laughs> he's second on the all-time three-point shooting percentage list. When you... Second, dude. This isn't like... This isn't like just some, oh, this guy could shoot a little bit. You put him in the right situation. This is going to be, he could be one of the best three-point shooters in like the history of the NBA. It's real. It's real. He's a Curry. You got to believe it. You got to believe it. And then all of a sudden, like, you know how many fucking shots this guy's going to get? It's crazy. He's just going to be able to stare it down with the kinds of players they have. I don't know. It could get ridiculous over there. It really could. If he's this generational talent, if he's if, if he's Pistol Pete re reincarnated, oh, he's a generational shooter. That's what I'm saying. Like, is Kyle Korver the best basketball player you've ever seen? No, he's good, but he's a generationally good shooter. That's what I think we're dealing with here. I'm sorry, I'm you're sorry. high up on you the know, percentages you know what, you when you take a lot. more than anyone to say. You know it does. Oh man, I don't want to say it. I don't like giving Philly people love. And I love the six. I love Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers, Marquette guy. I fucking love it. But man, bringing in the son-in-law to work for you never goes well for anybody. <laughs> <laughs> especially you know, donald trump <laughs> you know him and austin rivers are gonna be meeting in uh cherry hill for dinner now oh gosh okay all right and now we can finally get on to what i wanted to talk about atlanta hawks add rondo add bogdan add gallinari add chris dunn i think you know this 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 might make them a, a playoff team but it the buck stops in atlanta with what is trey young Trey Young is tired of not being perceived as a winner, as only a guy who's good for getting on House of Highlights every single night. So I think all, all of these moves are great that they made, but at the end of the day, the Atlanta Hawks are tied to Trey Young. And the interesting thing about adding the Gallinari contract is now, now they're going to try to get the John Collins thing, and John Collins may be getting less money than he previously thought. He might be getting moved by, yeah, by the lot of bigs they have over there. But to Charlotte. Here's, here's what confuses me about the Hawks, okay? Yeah. I like what they did. I think you're right in assuming that this puts them into the, you know, seven, eight conversation yeah. in the East and, and gets them into that tier of players. Uh, Chris Dunn is a, is a really tremendous defender, so I think he can really uh, – uh, you know, help out Trey Young if they're on the court together. Um, Rondo's a good spell. Bogdanovich, like you said, is good player, but you yeah. know, maybe not as good as people think. 18 a game, baby. But here's what confuses me, okay? Like, yeah. the Hawks have been setting this whole thing up as a rebuild for years, mm-hmm. right? And now you're signing all these guys. You got Bogdan, Gallinari, Rondo, Dunn. You're literally just banishing Kevin Herter, banishing yeah. Cam Reddish banishing deandre hunter uh deandre right yeah hunter yeah yeah, yeah. DeAndre hunter yeah, you're banishing these guys so all of a sudden within a year you know you spend a few years working on a rebuild mm. they were getting rid of old contracts getting rid of big contracts getting rid of your kent Bazemore's and alex lens and these kind of you know shitty mm. murky deals that were sitting around the hawks you made this big trade to try to get youth you gave up fucking the idea of drafting Luka Doncic (laughs) to just what put Cam Radish on the bench and Mm. not see what he's made of. So it could be fun. They might crack the playoffs, but I think as far as like a, 
the long line of what they're doing here, it's a little nonsensical. Uh, it's not going to put them over the hump. It's not going to make them like a perennial playoff team. Yeah. I think a couple of the guys they signed are going to be gone within a year or two. So I think you're fucking up your development with the idea that you have to get in the playoffs this year. And I think that they're really setting up for like, why was the reason that Bogdan Bogdanovich was on the market? It's because he supplanted Buddy Heald as a starter in Sacramento. Buddy Heald wasn't having it. Uh, they wanted to build around Buddy Heald. The next thing, you know, he's he's out the door. I think you may have a similar thing with Cam Reddish here, where Cam Reddish develops for a couple years, and then next thing, you know, you got a problem at, at shooting guard again. So I think when you commit to building around a, a nucleus, unless you can trade for a superstar, you keep going with that nucleus. Yeah, I agree. Well, there's still plenty more to go in this offseason. Plenty of names still on the market. We'll keep an eye on that. Uh, we want to know what you think of these moves. Email us at the tuneup podcast, two Ps in there at gmail.com. Uh, you can follow us at the tuneup HQ on Twitter and Instagram, tuneup on Twitch. Be sure, hey, give what you can to our holiday fundraiser. Visit us and donate at cfbnj.org slash the tuneup2020. $25 provides 75 meals for people. Absolutely unbelievable. So we're getting involved with that for the holiday season. Uh, would love for you guys to be a part of that as well. You can follow the big man at Benny Horowitz1, number one in your mind, number one in your heart, on, number one on Twitter. Almost messed that up. I am at Danny underscore Gallagher. Benny, you got anything else? All I want for Christmas is to be Benny Horowitz on Twitter. <laughs> no, but for real, everybody donate, please. It's a very important cause. Even if you just got a couple shekels to give up, mm. please give up those shekels. It's for a good thing. So everybody love everybody and uh, take care of each other out there. And a melancholy, happy trails, Rosemary Battaglia, my former neighbor, former head women's basketball coach at Iona. Rest in peace, gone too soon. See you next week.